Here is a word from the word for somebody who needs this. In the last letter that the Apostle Paul wrote, he addressed it to his younger, as he would call him, his son, his son in the ministry, Timothy. And Timothy evidently was inclined to be nervous about things, inclined to be a little hesitant, inclined to be intimidated by circumstances, just by life. And here's what the older brother in the Lord, who wouldn't live very much longer, this is the last letter that Paul wrote before his death, his martyrdom. He said this to Timothy, Timothy, the Lord has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. Timothy, let me say it to you one more time. I'm writing it down so you can reread it. The Lord hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but he's given us a spirit of love and of power and of a sound mind. Now, I don't know who in the room may be dealing with some kind of a fear, a spirit of fear. It, it could come from different sources, but specifically today, powerful people and you, a spirit of fear attached to or emanating from powerful people in your life. Now, they can, they can be powerful in their personality. They can be powerful in their position. They can be powerful in their prejudice against you. I'm not just talking racial prejudice, that kind of ethnicity prejudice. But some folks can know some things about us, have seen some things about us, been through some things maybe with us, and as a result of that, as a result of what they think they know about us, they develop a prejudicial attitude toward us. And that can have a powerful influence. Position, personality, prejudice, coming from a person that can cause us to respond in fear. Fear has the ability to shut us down. Fear is an emotion that has the ability to hold us back. Fear can be a powerful thing to have to overcome and to deal with. And if it was easy enough to do on our own, then we probably wouldn't be having this conversation this morning. It's because we need help with our fears. And I want to ask you to go with me to one verse, one passage that we'll start with this morning. How, how fear loses its grip. How the fear of powerful people in your life lose their grip. You know, sometimes powerful people can even already be dead. And what we thought they thought about us can continue to influence how we think about ourselves. How do you get free of the fear that comes from powerful people? John chapter 19, in the last very few days of Jesus' life, John 19 verse 1. Then Pilate, therefore, we remember Pilate, the Roman official in Jerusalem representing imperial Rome. Then Pilate, therefore, took Jesus and scourged him, had him beaten, had him whipped, 
And the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him, dressed him in a purple robe. And they began to come up to him and say, Hail, King of the Jews, and to give him blows in the face. And Pilate came out again and said to them, Bold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Jesus therefore came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, the Jewish leadership, accusing Jesus, pressing capital punishment charges against him. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When therefore the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify, crucify. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by that law he ought to die because he made himself out to be the son of God. When Pilate therefore heard this statement, he was the more afraid. And he entered into the praetorium again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Pilate therefore said to him, you do not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you, and I have authority to crucify you. Jesus answered, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. Pilate in his own narrow little world that had the stamp of Caesar upon his authority, no rule greater than the Caesar in Rome on the earth at that time. It would seem as if no one could challenge the authority of Rome or Rome's ambassador, emissary. I have authority, Paul said, or excuse me, Pilate says, I have authority to free you, or I have the authority to crucify you. To which Jesus, the accused, but the one absolutely unintimidated by the person of power before him, said this. And it's a key, it's a shaft of light into why Jesus faced Pilate, faced his accusers without the slightest quiver of fear. He says, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. Peter will say, years later, to the followers of Jesus who are about to be thrown into a season of worldwide, known world at that time, persecution of the followers of Jesus, he would say to them in 1 Peter 5, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time. Casting all your care, casting all your anxious places upon him because he cares for you. The same Paul who wrote to Timothy 
God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, Timothy. But in the place of the spirit of fear, the evidence of his presence is power and love and a sound mind. He also wrote those wonderful words in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. That which can cause the fear of powerful people in a powerful place, position of authority perhaps over you, to lose its grip, to own you, for fear to not own you, is when you realize, I realize this, this is a stretch, stay with me, stay with the word, they would have no authority over you had that position of authority somehow, some way, at least for that sliver of time that had not been given to them from above. Bad authority, lying authority, godless authority, cruel authority, all the things that we would want to put in as caveats as to, well, it certainly doesn't mean that. The problem is they're all covered with what Jesus went through and who did what they did to him. It isn't saying that God causes the evil, that he is the originator of that kind of problem and trouble and heartache, but it is to say that God is bigger and he will go further than that moment in time in your life when there seems to be oppression and there seems to be retribution or there seems to be vengeance by someone who is in authority. I want you to find, hold your place in John, but to, with your left hand, find the Gospel of Luke, the last chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Jesus has been raised from the dead now. He's walking on the road to Emmaus with his two disciples on Easter Sunday. And they're discussing what had happened, and Jesus comes up behind them, and you know the story. They didn't recognize him at first. And then Jesus says in verse Luke 24, verse 25, And he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Verse 26, Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory. Before there could be the exaltation of Jesus to the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus even Satan himself will buckle his knees and bow, that those in hell will honor the name of Jesus Amen. as truly who he claimed to be, but in order for that to happen, humiliation had to come. He had to humble himself, Philippians 2, and become obedient even unto death. Jesus is speaking of it himself. Was it not necessary? Was it not necessary? Was it not a part of God's plan for Christ to suffer these things and then to enter into his glory? Folks, I just want to encourage you this morning. If it was true of Jesus, that can be a segment of our lives where it will also be true. To humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God is, is speaking not just of theological concepts, it, it's talking about the things in real life. That he ultimately is over, ultimately will handle, ultimately will deal with. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. 
so that he may exalt you at the proper time. Historians will say, many of them, of great reputation, that that which brought down the Roman Empire at least caused it from the inside to crumble. The most powerful civilization that had ever existed in the world up until that time, greater than Alexander the Great's Greek Empire, was the Roman Empire. But the position that the emperor and the leadership took against the followers of Jesus, Nero blaming the burning of Rome on the Christians, and as a result, pulling the Christians' families away from their houses, away from their businesses, separating the families all, and, and, and the awful things that were done to the Christians. And not just a time or two, but there were decades where it would rise and fall, the, the great persecution against the church. But what would happen was, as time went on, folks who didn't even know Jesus, folks who were pagan in their orientation, saw the way that the Christians suffered. They're not trying to foster a revolution and themselves in armed conflict or off the Roman Empire. They humbled themselves. And they allowed themselves to be destroyed. There was nothing they could really do about it. They were overpowered by a stronger government. And they were just pawns in this seemingly meaningless chess move. But what was happening was that the people outside of the emperor's own closest ones were looking at this and realizing we shouldn't be killing children. We shouldn't be burning people at the stake. For what purpose is this? They were trying to foster these huge games and the, the paid mercenaries, the gladiators come in to kill. And it was supposed to be entertainment. And eventually the crowds quit coming. And as time goes on, it wasn't the Gauls from the north of France and Germany coming in and marauding bands that, that broke the back of Rome. Rome was already broken at its heart. And it was in part broken at its heart because people who had no understanding of this Christian way were stunned by the way in which the Christians humbled themselves and would die with songs of worship coming out of their mouths. Praise and prayer. It broke the heart of the strong, stern, impregnable Roman psyche over time. But in the moment, folks, listen, in the moment when Paul wrote those words, or Peter wrote those words, Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so that he may do what? Exalt you at the proper time. There may be a moment when you're going through all kinds of heartache and grief and difficulty from some person in a position of authority over you. But you understand this. You're not there by yourself. And you're not in some random motion where that person who thinks he's an authority or thinks she's an authority has ultimate control of the situation. He does not. She does not. And God will cause it to work together for good in your life. To those who love God, and of those who are called according to his purpose. Folks, if Jesus had not humbled himself and stayed under the mighty hand of God in this sense, which even included Pilate's consigning him to death, if Jesus had not stayed under that place of authority, you and I would still be lost and in our sins today. It was necessary that the Messiah suffer 
And the way he would suffer would be the result of a godless man in authority over him. That was not beyond the realm of the father's control. He was all a part of God's ultimate plan to rescue you and to bring hope to me. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. Humble yourself. Get low under the hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. Now quickly, quickly, quickly I run to say where there is criminal abuse, where there is sexual abuse, where there is physical abuse, you recognize the authority and then you run to another authority. That's a police. The law is for the lawless, the Bible says. The lawless get the law. Turn them in. Take it into light. Bring it into light. In this nation, thank God, there is generally speaking enough of a measure of recognition for what right is right and wrong is wrong that we can appeal to another level of authority for us to be rescued. That being said, however, not every situation is necessarily criminal. But it can be overpowering. But to understand that when you're in that place and a powerful person is doing whatever a powerful person would try to do, for you to look straight at this passage, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you by my Father. And my God will cause... All things, even this, to work together for my good and his glory because I love him and I'm called according to his purpose. It may not happen before dark. It may not happen by next Monday. But you are not an orphan. You are not a stepchild. You are picked out, chosen, wanted, desired from the heart of God. Before you ever in your mother's womb, he's had designs on you for good. He's going to take care of you and rescue you. There's something about understanding the power that is released when we are willing to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. You know, I know as parents and grandparents, we want to be quick to rise to the defense of our children, grandchildren, those we care about. But I'm going to just tell you, you better learn. We better learn that there are systems of authority that are set in place that will have the power either to break us or to bless us. They're not going to rewrite the rules just because my grandbaby or your grandbaby or your child or you and I come along. Authority has the power to prosper or persecute to bless or break. And the smartest thing for us to do is to recognize that's how, we're, and in the doing of that, in Romans 13, Paul will say, that is one of the ways that we are expressing our loyalty to the Lord, our humility before the Lord, because the governments, before you read Romans 13, are set in place as servants of the Lord, servants of God, to protect and to keep things decent and to keep things in order. You don't have to fear anything if you're abiding by the laws and the area. That's Romans 13. And he's writing that not to a group of Christians who lived in a democracy. The Romans could elect some senators and some representatives, but that could be completely overruled by the one dominant ruler who was the Caesar, the king. But still it was said, you honor God 
and you honor the king. No matter who the king is, and those kings weren't Sunday school teachers, and they weren't graduates of Bible schools. Because the Lord's saying, as I see you seek to stay under my mighty hand, it's coming. You won't always be oppressed. You won't always be suppressed. There's a time of exaltation coming. May I also add, if it is somebody who just has a strong personality, doesn't necessarily have pit position to enforce their personality. If it's just somebody who's got a bigger-than-life personality, you've got to choose whether you're going to let that personality continue to control you and rule you. I'll talk about that here in a second. I got real quiet there for a moment. We've got these choices. We have the choices, ones who come at us with an attitude, come at us with a judgment. They don't have any legal authority to come here, but they just, they just kind of walk in the room and we wilt. Their name comes up and we just want to step aside. The Lord has not given you a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and a sound mind. Okay, now, here's another take on this matter of fear losing its grip with people of power in our lives. Look at John chapter 18. You were in John chapter 19. Look at John chapter 18 and verse 17. This is at the point where Jesus has been arrested and he's being taken for questioning to the high priest's house. The slave girl, verse 17, John 18, 17. The slave girl, therefore, who kept the door at the house said to Peter, You're not also one of this man's disciples, are you? Peter said, I am not. Now the slaves and the officers were standing there, and having made a charcoal fire, for it was cold, and they were warming themselves, and Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. Let's get down to verse 25. Simon Peter was standing there and warming himself. They said, therefore, to him, to Peter, you are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, being a relative of the one whose ear Peter cut off, <laughs> said, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter, therefore, denied it again the third time, and immediately a rooster crowed. Okay, leave, leave John 18, go one book over to Acts, book of Acts, and Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Acts chapter 4, verse 13, got it? Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John. Confidence meaning boldness, an unwavering, fearless, unhesitating confidence of faith. As they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were marveling and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. But when they had ordered them to go outside, go outside out of the council, they began to confer with one another. Okay, you fast forward from John 18 and 19, the trial of Jesus, his crucifixion, his burial, his death, 
his resurrection, and the day of Pentecost when the exalted spirit of Jesus is poured out on the church. And then all heaven broke loose in Jerusalem. And one of the leaders of the church is one and the same with the fellow who three times, back to back to back, was asked, aren't you one of his followers? To which his response was, three times, I am not. I don't know the man. I'm not. You know, he, it's, it's treated in different ways based upon the various gospels that report that. I'm not a follower of Jesus. Total categoric disavowal of any relationship with Jesus. And then we have this. Same ones who perpetrated in an earthly sense the crucifixion of Jesus from the Jewish standpoint who went to Rome and said he needs to be crucified. Folks, it's the same faces. It's Annas, it's Caiaphas, it's the leaders and rulers of the Jews that formed that group called the Sanhedrin. They were the ones who held the trial, had the jury, wielded the, the, the verdict that Jesus needed to be crucified. The exact same faces that scared the liver out of Simon Peter. Now he's looking at them. They're in his presence. He's in their presence. He's seeing them. He's hearing them. They are questioning him now like they had questioned Jesus. He's got to be knowing that everything they did to Jesus, they can do to him. But as they, the council, observed the confidence of Peter and John, understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were marveling and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus and seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. But when they ordered them to go outside the council, they began to confer with one another saying, what shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place, the silver and gold have I none, beggar going up into the temple, Peter and John, silver and gold have I none, such as I have give I thee. Took him by the hand, the guy got stood up, Leaped up, walking and leaping, praising God. You remember that story? That's Acts 3. This is the follow-through of that. Such that a noteworthy miracle has taken place is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, we cannot deny it. But in order that it may continue, but in order that it may not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to any man in his name, in this name. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to seek or teach at all in the name of Jesus. That sounds like our public school system today. Scared to death of the authority that is in the name of Jesus. Otherwise, why worry about it? Why make an issue of it if it wasn't a dangerous name? Dangerous in the sense of setting captives free. Dangerous in the sense of speaking truth to those who don't know truth. Dangerous in the sense that he is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. And one day every knee will bow and confess that he is king of kings and Lord of lords. So just like it doesn't work in our day, it didn't work in their day. Don't speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus, they said. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to give you heed, to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. And when they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis in which they might punish them on account of the people, because they were all glorifying God. But what had happened? For the man was more than 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing 
had been performed. So my question to you, brothers and sisters, is what in the world happened to Simon Peter between John chapter 18 and Acts chapter 4? What happened to the coward? What happened to the chicken who turned into a champion? What happened to him? Do we need to study what he ate for breakfast? Do we need to figure out if he was drinking five-hour energy way before it was developed? What happened to him? It's a worthy question. Because a lot of us can find a whole bunch of heart in our similarity, our connection to, to Simon Peter. Come in a room talking, blabbing, making all these big promises, to which the Lord sometimes turned to Simon Peter and said, listen, you, you said everybody's going to abandon me, but you'll never abandon me. Simon, here's the truth. You're going to deny me three times before a rooster crows. I know you. I didn't call you to follow me to be a part of my mission just because you had a big mouth. I see something in you that when God gets his hand on it, when you're out of your own hands and you're in the hands of the Lord, amazing things, Simon, can happen with you. But until that happened, Simon was a disappointment to people around him. It was a disappointment to himself. What happened? What happened to Simon's fear? Because that was what was shutting him down. That was what was pushing him back, the fear of what might happen to him if he got associated with Jesus. Would you find Acts chapter 1 and one more time, and it doesn't matter whether you're a Baptist, whether you're a Pentecostal, whether you're a Catholic, whether you're an Anglican, whether you're a church front, Bible church somewhere. It doesn't matter the theological perspective that we contend to come to these very vital passages of Scripture where they can end up just sucking the power of the impact of these verses right out of the verses because we read them already with an interpretive scheme. This is what that has to mean because this is what we figured out it means over here. And we work back from our conclusion and we got to filter in all of these verses to make it fit with our already predetermined theological position. Now that may not make a lick of sense to some of you, but to some of you it does and it's vital and it's real. And when we realize that, that we've been fooled. Sometimes we've been, we've been taught things that are part of the scripture. But my goodness, just let the Bible say what the Bible says. I'm trying to make it make sense to this culture and our day and our, well, our preferences. <laughs> so let me read this. Book of Acts. Just straight book of Acts. No grid. Just the word of God, the history of what happened. And how old Peter the coward got caught up in it and came out the other side a champion. Lost his fear in the process. To these he also presented, verse 3, Jesus also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. John got you sopping wet on the outside. Measurable to the clothes you were in when you got in the Jordan River or wherever. 
there is coming a time and there is coming a reality where it won't anymore be the outside of you. It'll be the inside of you that will be drenched with the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. And so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or epochs which the fathers fixed by his own authority. But look what he said. But you shall receive power. You shall receive power. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. I'm really wanting to say something, but I'm going to just not say anything. Let's just stick with this. Go to Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together in verse 5 and were bewildered because they were each one hearing them speak in his own language. Skip down to verse 14. But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Give heed to my words. And he begins to go into the prophecy of Joel, the Spirit being poured out. This is what that is. Spirit of God being poured out on men and women and older and younger and so forth. Instead of Peter hiding, he's up front. Verse 36, therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Then you get over to chapter 4. After the man had been healed, now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were marveling and began to recognize them as having been to Jesus. Jesus. Folks, so what's the difference between Peter the wannabe follower of Jesus in John chapter 18 and Peter the champion in Acts chapter 2. You say, well, they just really hadn't, begun, hadn't been born again. Prove that. Prove that this is just about people being born again. Paul will say in 1 Corinthians 15, here is the gospel. This is the grace in which we stand that we believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. They knew that he had died on the cross for these 120, that Jesus said, you have everything except power. You need power. Don't leave Jerusalem until you get the power that the Father has promised. They knew he was crucified for their sins. They could take you to the tomb. He was talking to them as the resurrected Christ. On the basis of what Paul has said, they were believing in Jesus. Born again in the sense of the Spirit of God doing a work in their hearts, at least to bring them to that point. But Jesus said, 
Just knowing that I died, just knowing that I was buried, just knowing that I was raised again on the third day is not the same thing as knowing the power that my Father wants you to walk in. The promise of the Father. The Father has promised that my children would walk in power. You wait for the promise of the Father. I was brought up under the teaching that, well, this was just, these people really didn't get saved until the day of Pentecost. But how do you justify that with other passages of Scripture? But what that does is, that just takes the miraculous and it, it, it blunts the end of the spear point that would say the followers of Jesus need to know the truth about Jesus, put their faith in him, but they need to know him in the power of his spirit's fullness. Or we're not like the first century church. Folks, it wasn't more information that Simon Peter got. It wasn't a men's Bible study. He didn't eat Cheerios four days in a row and fast for five before this hit. Something happened to him that had not happened before. Something happened. And it was the filling of the Holy Spirit. And the folks that just want to say to you, it doesn't honor God if we strive, if we're groaning and trying to work our way into somehow earning the gift of the filling of the Spirit. I believe it is, it is just as normal and just as a part of life with someone you love who understands that they have something they want to give you. And you want them to know, I want what you want to give me. Father, I ask you to fill me with your spirit. No one can confess Jesus as Lord unless the spirit of God prompts him or her to confess Jesus as Lord. It's not saying that there's never been a work of the spirit in our lives. But what it's saying is, the work of power. For by the power of his presence, fear dissipates. Same faces, same men, same setting who are responsible for Jesus being put to death in an earthly sense. The ones who scared Peter to death before the day of Pentecost. Now he faces them. They interrogate. They threaten. <laughs> and then he and John say, basically, you are asking us to do something that we don't have the power anymore to do. You're telling us to speak no more in this one's name. But we're saying to you that there is a power greater inside us now compelling us to speak that is greater than the power that used to shut us down by your threats and by your position. Your power has been set aside by a greater power operating inside these untrained and uneducated local yokers. We can read all the books on conquering fear. We can memorize all the verses. And they'll help. But what it can do is just make us even more condemned that we're still in fear after we got all the truth about why we ought to be out of fear. The consistent characteristic 
of ones filled with the Spirit spoken of here in the book of Acts was this confidence, this boldness, this propensity and freedom to speak everything that was in their heart to speak. Whether they were talking to ordinary people or whether they were talking to people in position. When the Spirit of God within them would prompt them to say something, to be a witness of Jesus. Their mouth opened, the tongue started working, lips started forming words, and out came the opposite of fear. Has that ever happened to you? Nobody can answer that for you as a follower of Jesus. And, and the wonderful thing is, the, you know, after the Peter and John were interrogated and finally released, it says that they went back to their companions, went back to the rest of the, of the body, and they, they told what they had been through. And then they, they began to pray. Let me just read you a little bit of that prayer, starting in verse 25. But by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David, thy servant did say, Why did the Gentiles rage? People's devise of futile things. The kings of the earth took their stand, and rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly in this city they were gathered together against thy holy servant Jesus, whom thou didst anoint, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever thy hand and thy purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that thy bondservants may speak thy word with all confidence, there's that word, while thou dost extend thy hand to heal, and signs and wonders take place through the name of thy holy servant Jesus. And then it says, and when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. You might insert the word again. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit again and began to speak the word of God with boldness. You see, it's possible that four years ago, five years ago, 15 years ago, 25 years ago, 40 years ago, you walked in this place of Holy Spirit freedom, the power of God resting on your life. Fear was not ruling. You were free. But as was the case here, life can take its toll. Questioning and interrogation and the passing of time can take its toll so that there can be the need for a fresh filling of the Spirit again. Instead of living our lives with our eyes stuck to the rearview mirror, boy, those were great days, God. Those were awesome times. That was a powerful revival season in my life. Oh, how great that was. To realize that the same God who touched you and filled you and set you free back then as the same one who would say, I'm willing, I want, again, for you to know my power, to know my presence. Ask me, ask me, ask me, ask me. How does, how does the fear of powerful people lose its grip? A part of it can be realizing and in spite of all that's going on through them, God somehow still has a plan. And the way, the way for me to get into the rest of that plan is to humble myself in the present, knowing that he in his timing will exalt me, bring me out in his timing. But the other is to realize that God hadn't given me the spirit of fear, but what God wants to give me is the spirit of power. Love, power, and a sound mind. So, Lord, here I am, power or, or, or fear trying to shut me down. I get that. I see that. 
I can't shake it, Lord, but I'm asking you to fill me with your spirit like you did these people. I'm asking you to do in my life what you did in them. Folks, instead of reading this like, a, like some kind of a, you know, reading through a, the entries into a museum or, or some kind of history book, oh, that was Davy Crockett and that was Daniel Boone and that, you know, all those guys, boy, they were something. Old Crockett could shoot that thing. You know. Somehow that's how we treat these stories. But the Lord is saying, what I did to Peter, dare me to do for you. Maybe not that way. Trust me to do for you. Trust me to do for you. Oh, Peter. Oh, Peter. Oh, Peter. Yeah, Peter was a mess. He was a coward in that season. But then when he received the filling of the Holy Spirit, something inside his genetic code switched over to maximum production. And he went on the rest of his life to become what the Lord intended to be. You know, I don't know. So I say, well, I wonder what the pastor's going to do about that tongues part. I just wonder. I'm not worried about that. The, the Lord can do what he did then, today. But the proof that they were filled with the Holy Spirit was not that they spoke in languages they didn't understand. The proof that they were filled with the Spirit was that they were emboldened, whereas they had been afraid, to testify of Jesus in words that people could understand. You can have 1,500 different prayer languages. You can stay slain on the floor for five hours. Nobody goes to heaven as a result. It's not about our experience. Here I go. I'm chasing something here. But it, it's... It's about the kingdom of God and the person of Jesus and the clarity, the message of the cross and what he does to set a captive free. Way more important than whether I've got this gift and you've got that gift and I want that anointing and I want this other one. Forget it. Show me your boldness. Absence of fear. Loving Jesus with everything you've got. Unashamed of him. Fill with the Spirit. Fill with the Spirit. Fill with the Spirit. You're going to get the promise of the Father so that you will be enabled to bear witness of me. Not so that you'll have goosebumps running up inside your boots. That may happen, but that's on down the list. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And I believe another one more. You know, Peter was looking at Caiaphas and Annas. And all those other big dogs, instead of it being a raging pit bull inside him wanting them to be destroyed, the power of God produces a compassion for those who hate you. The power of God can work inside you to set you free from vindictiveness and a desire for retribution. Why Stephen, as he was being stoned, same words almost that Jesus spoke from the cross, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. That's power, isn't it? That's an expression of power. For someone who has held something over you and has held you back, crippled you, hurt you, for instead of there being a get-even attitude, it's God. He doesn't get it. She doesn't see it. Have mercy on them, Lord. Have mercy on them. Where'd that come from? That has to come from another world. When it's someone who has hurt us and held us back. How fear loses its grip with powerful people and you. Lord, I thank you for your word. Thank you for your time with us, the sense of your presence in this room. Will you please, as you did with the two on the road to Emmaus, would you open up the scriptures to us? You open up our hearts to understand. And will you fill us, Lord, with yourself?
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.